Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. We are here as a production of Browncroft Community Church, and we exist to explore the questions that you may not feel comfortable asking in church or to people in church. And so we're in a series right now called Why Do I Still Follow Jesus? And we're talking to friends who have been through very difficult things and are being honest and open about what they've been through. Um, And people could look at and hear their story and think, why are they still following Jesus? And we're going to talk about why they are. So I'm excited to be here with my friends. Um, All three of them are my friends. And I'm looking forward to the conversation. But we'll start with this man right here, my friend Gage Hunt. Hi, hi. Who's co-hosting with me for the first time. Yeah, that's true. I know. And this is Amanda D'Angelo. I'm not sure you mentioned your name. I didn't. I am Amanda (laughs) (laughs) D'Angelo. But thank you. Yeah, glad to be here with you and very excited to welcome our friends, Paul and Jackie. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you said, we've all become good friends, Um, uh, some of us for longer than others, Mm -hmm. Um, but really appreciate each other and excited to have you guys here today. Uh, By way of introduction, Paul and Jackie are married now seven years. Mm -hmm. They have one beautiful biological daughter, Ezra, and a boy on the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's coming. Uh, <laughs> we're excited for that. They are um, also they've been foster parents, and their vocational experiences too have been very outward oriented. Paul, for one, holds a master's degree in social work and has spent his whole vocational career working with students. He started uh, as a nonprofit leader at a local community college, MCC. Uh, then worked with AmeriCorps for a time, serving and then serving at Hillside as a youth advocate for the past six years. Meanwhile, Jackie has had a career in higher education uh, all of the past 10 years, working as an admissions counselor, resident director, assistant director of new student orientation, and now serves as the assistant director of marketing at RIT. She's also just completing, almost there, a master's in service leadership and innovation. One more class. Oh, so (laughs) So close. So close. (laughs) Oof. Prayers for that. Uh, Let me just add to that introduction that of all my friends, I have just hugely appreciated the way I've gotten to see both of you really two things. Honestly reckon, not, not... pursue a half-baked spirituality, but honestly reckon with your faith and getting at not just what you've heard, but what substance is really there. And all the while, inside and outside the faith community, trying to care for and love neighbors well. Um, I've so appreciated that about you too. So we are really happy to have you guys here with us today. Mm -hmm. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. uh, Yeah. Those things are true about us. And Humble your too. humility, I am so <laughs> grateful for. Oh, man. Also, thank you. That's great. <laughs> All right. Well, before we dive in to your season of struggle, which is what we're talking about today, why don't you guys both tell us about your faith before you even met, before you became Paul and Jackie Stack? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I grew up in a Christian house, uh, and I went to Browncroft since I was five years old. Many people know the Stack family. We had seven children, and so we were loud and often lost people as we were leaving church. Um, 
But yeah, loved uh, loved being at this church. I was a youth group kid here, and faith started becoming important to me in about seventh grade. That was the first time it, it became something of personal ownership that I was passionate about. And that continued on through college. A uh, lot, of, lot of spiritual growth and bumps along the road in college, uh, had a big party phase, but ultimately kind of came back and owned faith in, a, I think, a more complete way. Mm-hmm. And then I moved on to uh, becoming a campus minister with a, um, a national Christian college organization. And it was in that season when I was working that job that I met Jackie and fell in love. <laughs> quickly it was quick um and yeah i have a i have a similar story i grew up in a christian home um we were very very involved with church like we were one of the first families to arrive at our church on sundays and uh the way that my dad would rally us in the morning as we would stop at Tim Hortons I'd get the same like (laughs) apple juice and a toasted bagel and then you know I would set up while my dad was doing stuff for the board and ushering and all that stuff and then my mom Mm -hmm. taught Sunday school so grew up very very involved with church um was on the worship team did a lot with VBS um and I loved it like those were where my like closest friends were um we had like a girls Bible study that I loved going to every single week. Um, and then I ended up going to Elon Bible Institute for a year. Had no idea what I wanted to do with that. Just knew I was attracted to this place. I wanted to go. And then um, I transferred to uh, Roberts Wesleyan College and finished my business degree there. Um, and yeah, that's uh, I'm trying to think. So then I started working at Roberts, and that's when I met Paul, wow. was um, actually through his sister, Julia, who was also an admissions counselor at Roberts. And she was like, you have to date my brother. And I was like, <laughs> um, no, <laughs> I don't really want to be set up. And I was still, you know, I just gotten out of a longer term relationship. And, and then she saw me for the first time. <laughs> So yeah, no like crisis of faith or anything like that prior to meeting Paul and Mm. and getting married. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We are going to save that soundbite. No crisis of faith prior to meeting Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Caption of this podcast. (laughs) Oh man. So then you guys dated for how long? Okay. Yeah. So this was, we were swift. Okay. So we dated (laughs) for six months. We were engaged for, wait, dated for dated seven, seven, engaged, engaged six. for six months. Oh. So we like, we were fast. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember even the morning of when Paul proposed that day, which was on my birthday, my mom had asked me like, do you know for sure? Like, this is the guy. And I was like, I just know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he's, he's the guy. I just feel like that is the right one for me mm. so and i used to hate it when people told me that i was mm. like oh but meaning yeah. asked you if, if you're sure no like when people would say you'll just know oh mm. and i'm like no there's got to be some logical mm-hmm. things here there's mm-hmm. got to be some specifics and but with paul yeah i think we just kind of after a few months we started talking about getting married pretty quickly so wow yeah. Mm-hmm. Did I miss anything? 
No. Okay. And how, remind me, how old were you guys? 25. Yeah. Okay. Well, Jackie Two months turned older. 25, and I proposed on the day she turned 25. Okay. So okay. She was a very young 25-year-old. <laughs> we got engaged. Just a few hours old. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. So then we've talked about this ahead of time. That's engagement and marriage is when the struggle started to happen. Mm. So we're going to get into it. Why don't you guys paint the picture of engagement leading into the first year or whatnot of marriage that was the tough parts? Yeah, so engagement season was awful for me, not because of our relationship, but because it was my <laughs> first kind of spiral into crazy anxiety and depression that I really didn't understand kind of why it was happening. So I was working for this uh, Christian college ministry, but feeling really depressed and anxious about faith, uh, feeling really kind of codependently and overly responsible for the spiritual lives of the students I was leading. Uh, I thought about work all the time mm -hmm. and kind of constantly felt like a failure and like mm -hmm. I wasn't measuring up to the spiritual bar God had for me. Sort of I was like I was perpetually disappointing God. Um, so this just kind of progressively got worse. And in, in the same time, part of how I'm thinking about this in relation to engagement was like, am I really... Am I good enough? Like, am I going to have the the courage, love, and stability to be a faithful husband? And a big part of me felt like, no, I'm not. I'm not up to the task. And if I can't handle this part of my life, who am I to think that I can be a good husband? So uh, that kind of the peak of that culminated to I. I was increasingly suicidal and thought life is too painful and hard and and I would rather end it. So uh, one night I went to a bridge and um, this is a bridge that I was literally kind of at the edge at debating jumping off and, and ending my life. And then uh, while I was there, I'd probably been there for about 10 minutes, a woman came up to me who 100% was sent by God. This was a person who was very trained for this moment. She was actually a social worker. She had a master's in social work degree, and she was a Christian. So she, she really knew how to talk to me with a lot of uh, grace and patience and, and sort of in, in real time talked to me away from the ledge. And then one of the coolest experiences of my life happened when this woman ended up becoming my supervisor when I was getting my master's in social work degree four years later. And prior to that, this was the only time I interacted with her was on this bridge. So <laughs> a miraculous intervention by God. So then uh, that I ended up after that happened, maybe a month or two later, I ended up quitting my my campus ministry job and this was also a really hard decision to make so i had made a commitment that i would do this job for five years so i i really felt like i'm being a cowardly christian i'm quitting early on a commitment i've made uh this is me backing out of a calling that god has on my life so kind of the way i conceptualized this was um I'm, I'm not living out the faith that I 
should be living out. Um, I'm, I'm quitting early on a really essential commitment. And that kind of further added to this, this sort of like mountain of shame I was feeling about myself and continued to struggle with. I don't know if I will be a good husband or a good Christian since I'm, I'm doing this. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of the center of my heaviness in that season. Wow. Thanks for being so vulnerable. Yeah. With us. Yeah. I really appreciate that. I'm, I almost want, I want to ask questions to you, Paul, about that. And when I hear everything you said, I hear this like high expectation for yourself mm-hmm. that it's, you have to be this mm-hmm. for everyone and everything. Where does that come from for you? Yeah. So uh, a few different thoughts come to mind. Um, And this was stuff that I kind of unearthed with a lot of therapy work. So uh, part of going to therapy for me was was kind of re-looking at uh, some childhood pain and sort of things that sowed the seeds of codependency where I felt overly responsible for people. Like when in this college ministry, I felt overly responsible for people's spiritual development, their health, their choices. To an, to an extent where I felt like it was all on me and and that sort of set me up to feel like I was trying to hit an impossible or an impossibly high standard. Um, so that was part of it. Um, another part of some of my uh, early childhood pain, I think I, I struggled with seeing God as sort of like a harsh taskmaster who demanded that I I follow faith perfectly and that I see through all the commitments I've made and different things like that. Uh, and, and these were things, I've, a lot of this happened within the relationship with my dad, a lot of, of tough pain points. And, and part of why I feel okay about saying this here is he and I have had a lot of restorative and healing conversations and, and he has been incredibly gracious, loving, and and consistent with me around this stuff. So he has helped me work through some of like our painful interactions when I was younger, work through how some of his anger towards different interactions we had affected me. And then uh, sort of like debriefing some of those moments and, and releasing the unhealthy ways that I took that on mm-hmm. as a kid. So, so I, I think that's some of the stuff that, that set up some of those those feelings, especially the way that I related to God. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it is, our parents have a tremendous effect on us with how we see God, which is mm. unfortunate too sometimes because our parents can have gone through very difficult things and are just doing the best that they can. So I I'm, I'm love that you had that conversation with your dad, many conversations with your dad yeah. to heal that. Um, another question I have is, were you talking to anyone during that time? Like, did Jackie know how you were feeling? Your friends, your people you're working with, did they know? Well, and let me, if I can yeah, add to go that for as it. well. Go for it. Um, as, as you respond also, what what do you feel changed, you know, between, I guess, pre this role, this ministry role, and then being in it, where that, that switch really flipped from kind mm-hmm. of feeling like, okay, competent, healthy, to kind of feeling like you're failing and you're letting God down and others down. What, what do you think contributed to that? 
So I think like, I think some of it, I, there wasn't really a switch flipped. I think part of it was just there. Uh, there were seeds of things I was feeling when I started doing the job that really started to grow. So for example, let's say a kid started coming to Bible study and a few weeks later they stopped and I would follow with them, have conversations and kept, I kind of kept conceptualizing it as this is, this is on me. I need to figure out a way to make this happen, to, to get this kid in this room, attending this Bible study as a, as a demonstration of my, you know, whatever, I guess, like spiritual competence for fulfilling this role. So those, I think those things were still present, but the weight of them and how much and how anxiously I thought about them definitely spiraled and swelled over the course of me doing this job. And as far as the question about... Um, talking to anyone. Yeah, talking to anyone. So kind of. They're... Um, kind of is wrong. Yes. There's a <laughs> lot of people I talked to. And it was kind of... Uh, across the spectrum. So there were some people I talked to that were very kind of gracious, empathetic, and understanding and were present with me in that suffering. Amanda's husband was one of those people. Nick was mm. an, a really great friend during that time. Um, there were other people who really felt like my committing to this job given that I had made this five-year commitment was really essential and important and quitting would be a really kind of spiritually, uh, I might want to say devastating decision that they were concerned of how that would affect my life in the long run and, and, and sort of had a, a lot of concern about that uh, being a, a really bad choice for me. So I think some of that also kind of weighed on me heavily as that kind of added to my, like, uh, I feel like I can't do this job, but I also feel like I don't want to quit early on this thing that God has called me to. So that, that was another part of the tension I felt around the, the, the shame and the hesitancy to quit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh. Thanks. Mm -hmm. So Jackie... Um, meanwhile, <laughs> bring us, what, what was next in your journey? So I think while Paul was, <clears throat> cause Paul didn't tell me right away when he had that episode on the bridge. I think it was about a week later. It was no. the next day. We went to a oh, wedding the next it day. It was the next day. It probably felt, yeah. Yes, you are correct. Um, <clears throat> And I, I still remember like sitting in the car and him telling me this. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Um, and without, you know, I hadn't started recovery work or anything at this point. I hadn't dug into anything um, that I would later discover once we actually got married. And I kind of let my walls down a, a lot more with that. But, um, you know, I, I had a lot of codependency. Like I was very I was a very, very codependent person. So for me, I was like, wow, I have to be the strong one in this relationship. I have to take on all of the stress with wedding planning, with mm. with family and figure out like how how we how do we get to the altar, basically? 
And then when it got to the point where we really started having those conversations, Paul was really doubtful of like, I don't think I'm ready to get married and having to kind of navigate that whole conversation over and over again for the last like probably two or three months um, that we were engaged again, like going back, we weren't engaged long, but for half our engagement, we were having that conversation over and over again. And as someone who suffers later realizing that I suffer from um, abandonment issues, having some abandonment issues um, since my dad had passed away when I was younger, um, that kind of all came to the surface, right? But I, I couldn't, I didn't have the time. I didn't make time to, to understand that and unpack it. Um, so we ultimately decided to get married um, and that came later. <laughs> That's when everything started falling apart for me, you know, with my mental health is when Paul started to go to counseling and started his recovery journey and started to feel better. And that's when I started to gain a lot worse um, because I think I was finally able to breathe a little bit and take up some more space. And I was so used to practicing being small, right? So that to give other people space Mm. um, to feel the things that they needed to feel, to grieve the things they needed to grieve. And so that's really when it, mental health became like a, oh my gosh, I've never experienced this kind of hopelessness before um, with depression and then also like su- suicidal ideation at that point too. Hmm. If if you're comfortable, kind of keep going. Yeah. Okay. Like, so tell us about that season then. So we, we went through a lot of changes in our first year. Obviously all the mental health stuff for both of us. We moved in to, you know, we both didn't live together beforehand. So it was the first time living together, which comes up with anyone who's (laughs) Hmm. newly married or whatever you, you learn, oh my gosh, it's the little things. It really is the little things that like, wow, why does this bother me and all this stuff? (laughs) So we're learning how to live together. We're learning, um, how to communicate even our time schedules, like before you don't have to worry about, oh, hey, when are you coming home? Hey, I was expecting you to come home an hour ago. (laughs) You know, talking about schedules, like all of that stuff is brand new while we're also going through our own depressive like episodes. Um, I also had changed my job. Paul had just gotten a new job as well. So I was a resident director, so very high stressful situations where I was dealing with crises on a daily basis with students. Um, and yeah, I, I honestly just felt like I was a shell of a person. Like I didn't know, I had never experienced anything quite so like scary before. Um, mm. So um, yeah, I was... I I had a lot of suicidal like ideation episodes pretty much on a daily basis for those first several uh, months. And then it was actually getting a tax break (laughs) that pushed me to like go to counseling. Um, And counseling was never a part of like conversations in my family growing up or anything like Mm. that. So it was very, it felt scary. It felt new, you know, unknown. 
and um, I started going to see the therapist that Paul was starting to see. So it was really cool to like have common language at that point. Like, yes, we were seeing our therapist separately, but like to actually start to uncover a lot of the the patterns and our childhood trauma stuff and experiences and not grieving certain things like my dad's death in the way that I should have. Um, all of that was all new to me. Um, so Paul and I actually started coming to celebrate recovery together at Browncroft and, um, it was weird. You know, the first time you go, you're like, what is recovery? Like, (laughs) I'm not an addict, but you know, is this a place for me? And I remember feeling just so safe and welcome and like, wow, this is like what the church should be like people Hmm. confessing sin to each other in a safe place, you know, working through the steps, um, acknowledging your fears around God, like all these things. It was just such a safe place. So that's when, you know, you go around the circle and you share like why you're there. And I was like, honestly, I don't know why I'm here. I just feel depressed and I need something. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like how we got started on our recovery journeys. Wow. Mm. I was going to ask this and you already got to it of the why that you started to feel all of these, this pain and the struggle and the way that you articulated the struggles that you start to feel within marriage, especially um, feelings of abandonment. And you said something about feeling when you previously felt small and now you're like, I actually can express what I'm feeling and thinking, right? I want to, you can clean that up for sure. I've experienced that in marriage. My husband and I have only been married for a little over a year. And it's, why do you think that that happens? Why did that happen in marriage? Do you, have you explored that at all? Do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And Paul can share too, but we've definitely talked about this. Um, There's, so we have read some John Bradshaw books. He talks a lot about family dynamics, your role in the family, a role that you play within your family in order to keep it functional. So even though it is dysfunctional, in order to keep your family kind of going, right, you kind of play this role. Um, So we kind of have learned how, what roles we played in our in our families growing up. And when you don't have space to um, articulate certain emotions or things that you're struggling with, and now you're all of a sudden with this person that is <laughs> your person, right? And you feel safe with this person, you start to have these expectations for them to reparent you in a way that you weren't parented growing up and that's what so recovery is all around you reparenting yourself learning what are the things in my life that I need to seek healing on and own but when we were first married I was expecting that from Paul Mm -hmm. I was expecting him to realize those things and to point those things out and to love me in the areas (laughs) where I didn't receive that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of a few things come to mind. One is uh, 
part of part of what we read with Bradshaw and other therapists is this idea that when for a lot of people a switch flips when you get married and all of a sudden all of this your unresolved emotional crap comes flying forth <laughs> because there's a part of you deep down that's like, okay, I can breathe now and let out all this stuff that I've been sort of suppressing to behave well and and sort of win this person over. Now I've won them over, so now I can get all of my needs met, all the things that I did not get that I needed as a kid. So. Uh, that I think was both of our experience. So for me, one of the biggest switches for me was, uh, my wife in engagement was an all-star and I was a trash, uh, <laughs> wedding planning partner. I didn't do anything. Um, so like she was so consistent, stable, and, um, not only practically helpful, but really emotionally available to me. And then once we got married and and things became really internally hard all of a sudden for Jackie, that was really hard for me. It was like a, it was a I, I felt kind of blindsided by it. And there like the day to day dynamics changed. Like, for example, there were there would be days when I would come home and my wife was upset. So anyone who's been married, like you feel the heat from your partner. Like you don't know what you did, but you see them walking around and it's the way they like, they put a water bottle down real hard <laughs> or they like slam a drawer and they didn't say anything, but you're there's, there's heat in the air. Um, so it'd be stuff like that. And I'd be like, Hey, what's up? And she's like, I'm fine. <laughs> and so True like story. those, some of those things like, it, uh, like just kind of daily working through that stuff was was really tough, especially when uh, it it had felt I, in this way it felt easier for me in engagement to kind of like get emotional connection from Jackie, and then when her internal stuff was really difficult, that was harder. So that was one one big thing for me. Um, and on top of that, I think just all of the. When we were married, there like the amount of decisions we had to make together increases, and I think when you have to make more decisions together, together there's way more opportunity to take things personally. Like mm -hmm. I'm mad that my wife won't care about the social plan as much as I do, and I'm upset that my wife doesn't want to spend money on this thing that I want to spend money on. Um, so those... or let me go out for as many bourbon nights with Gage as I want. <laughs> Every night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we did have a lot of how much money will we spend on booze fights. So that's not, that's not super far off from from a few core fights. Um, yeah. And that's I'll I'll end it there. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. What what I find I think striking and really relatable about both of your stories prior to meeting each other and then, you know, being married that I think we can all relate to regardless of being married or not is we each grow up, no matter how awesome our home environment or how broken, uh, with it, things that we kind of try to cover up or accommodate for with dysfunction that we can make it by with in that circumstance and that style, lifestyle stage of life. And then something changes and the spotlight is just shown on that and um that's exas exacerbated mm. um 
you know, for you, Paul, you said it started with the job um, and then the relationship added. And then for Jackie, it was really it was really marriage that did that. And I think, too, I love what you said about um, for those who are in serious relationships or married, the really sneaky, subtle assumption that, oh, if I have a spouse, they'll be able to help me through this or that. Like they'll they'll pick up this slack that I have, which God willing, there's some of that. And I think I think you guys are even testament to how you do grow into that to a degree. Um, but a lot of people I think find whether it's a spouse or a job or a new city or, or whatever it is like that change of lifestyle, instead of being the, the solve for (laughs) the ways they've been accommodating some dysfunction, it really exaggerates, exaggerates, it puts additional stress on it, brings it to light further. Um, and that dysfunction is still there or exposes the dysfunction that they didn't see before. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- it's super cool, too, that you guys kind of responded to some of that, at least in similar ways, and even sharing the same counselor. And I think that's something for our listeners. Uh, a lot a lot of folks I've spoken to sometimes see this conflict between uh, the worlds of uh, mental health and therapy, right, and christian theology about wholeness and wellness um would you guys share a little bit about your own maybe assumptions preconceived notions about things like therapy and celebrate recovery and then walking through that how that's changed yeah i can go first uh so i i did not I did not personally have a lot of hangups around my theology and therapy. There wasn't much in my Christian experience growing up that made me think things like I should really just be able to pray and enough prayer will solve this problem. I did one of the most formative books for me continues to be emotionally healthy spirituality and a, and a cornerstone. I mean, it's on the front cover of the book is it's impossible to be spiritually mature without being emotionally mature. So that hmm. caught on to that. I, I feel like I bought into that really early on. Um, the idea that uh, if, if I want to grow in faith, but I am not resolving my codependency, if I am overly responsible for other people's issues, or if I believe that my spouse needs to be the one to change and then my emotional hangups will go away, like those kind of uh, that unhealthy emotional garbage that I brought into marriage. If I didn't fix those things, I would not grow spiritually. So I think that in hindsight, I see that's part of the huge reason why I needed to do therapy mm-hmm. is that I'd be a trash husband without working through those emotional hangups. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out how I want to answer this question, but <clears throat> I think for me, like I just cared so much about perception. I cared so much about... Mm-hmm you know, I, I struggled with perfectionism. Like I remember one of my, um, music teachers in high school, because I would cry if I didn't get every single note right during solo fest, (laughs) 
which is crazy, right? But he he had given me this quote about, about perfectionism, and I it was in that moment where I was like, oh, people are noticing that I care so deeply about how I'm perceived and and the what I'm putting out there, and it made me embarrassed, I think, but. I also didn't know how to change that about myself. Um, and, you know, anyone who's who's looking or discovering or trying, you know, curious about what codependency is, too. A lot of it is around, you know, you might have your own set of needs. Well, we all do. We all have our own set of needs, but we we don't want to put that out there into the world because we don't want to burden people. Um, we want to meet other people's needs because we want to be perceived as someone who cares about other people's needs. And it's a cyclical, you know, um, destructive way of thinking because we all have needs. We all need to ask for what we need. We all need to process that stuff. Um, so I think for me, uh, starting counseling and CR was just a big step, even just starting because it was acknowledging, okay, something's wrong. I don't, you know, I, I feel hopeless on a daily basis. I'm having suicidal thoughts. I'm feeling depressed. And it was just acknowledging it was the hardest part, to be honest, Mm -hmm. even on the intake form for counseling, it said like, have you had any suicidal thoughts? And I put no. (laughs) And it, it wasn't until several sessions in with my therapist that I was finally able to acknowledge, like, actually I lied. I am struggling with this. And she was like, yeah, I'm not surprised, you know, (laughs) because we had already dug into like that, um, into some of my codependency and where that was a hang up. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um, while we're on the topic of celebrate recovery, how do you feel that it changed your perception of who God is? So celebrate recovery, um, has been such a gift for me because it's been such a, a healing place where people can just come as they are and process what they need to process and own what they need to own. And if people aren't familiar with the format, you can't say anything in return. Like it's about listening Mm -hmm. to people. It's not about giving them book referrals, giving them Bible verses or advice. advice. (laughs) Yeah. It's you, you are there owning your stuff Um, if there's a conflict in a relationship that you're dealing with, like focus on your own thoughts and feelings. Don't focus on that person that's hurt, you know, on trying to get someone else to own that, but just what you can control. And so for me, um, I think that really impacted kind of where I was at with my relationship with God, because I was questioning if I was still a Christian or not. So I was still coming to recovery, you know, celebrate recovery. I was still going to counseling, but I was like, okay, I feel completely like, I feel like I've heard God in the past. I feel like I've always sensed his presence right now. I don't like, I don't Mm -hmm. feel anything. So is he even real? Like, (laughs) um, you know, multiple nights of like, 
sobbing on the bathroom floor, telling God to take my life. Like Elisha, like I literally relate, related so well to that story for such a, for that first year of marriage, because I felt like every night I was like, God, please just take my life. Like, I don't want to have to figure Mm -hmm. out how to do this and whatever. So for me, like, I think it impacted my relationship with God because I was seeing other Christians who didn't have this mentality of everything needs to be perfect. Everything needs to be buttoned up. You don't need to be perceived in a certain way. You can just come as you are. And so I think, um, yeah, I think my relationship with God was able to be sustained through that because I had other Christians who were loving me the way that mm-hmm. God's love actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm. would you would you unpack more of that, um, particularly so the love of others, the the uh, the mm, expectation absent love of others sustained you through that in your faith, but. Was there in that struggle and that questioning of, is this real? You know, God, are you there? Tell, tell us more about that stretch and, and I guess any moments that stand out as you reflect and, and think about where you are now. So Paul had earlier mentioned emotionally healthy spirituality. We've actually been we've just switched our devos, but we've literally done that devo every single morning together for like five years straight. Right. Most mornings. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the day by day one. I don't want people yeah, to think we're hundred percent successful. That is not true. 85% Solid successful. 85%. Plug for that devo. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Pete Scazzaro talks about the author of emotionally spiritual, uh, emotionally healthy spirituality talks about, coming to the wall Hmm. and I feel like it gave me words for what I was experiencing spiritually because I didn't really have those words. Right. Um, and the wall in those devos is talking about like, you're basically coming face to face with not just your sin, but like all these deepest fears that you have of God. And it's a crisis of faith. And it doesn't just happen once. It happens time and time again. But if you can push through the wall and, you know, with God's help and and a supportive network, um, it doesn't have to be celebrate recovery or whatever, but like that's where your spiritual maturity can blossom. Mm. So for me, like if it wasn't for the women that I had in my step study at Celebrate Recovery for Paul doing his own work in therapy, for me doing my own work in therapy, for us constantly communicating about our, you know, experiences growing up and things like that and unpacking so many different things, I wouldn't have been able to push through the wall, right? That was not something I could have done by myself. Um, so I... I'll just end it there. <laughs> That's good. Mm-hmm. It sounds like people who are real and loving towards you and stuff like EHS and walking through that content, at least one thing it did was normalized where you were, made it feel less fantastic or absurd and abnormal. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, thinking about the the question about how did 
celebrate recovery change my view of god i think a lot of it a few things one is i i think it it helped me in a sort of structured way have a really healthy experience of practicing faith and it helped me move towards seeing god as someone who is rooting for me and is as present with mm. me as i'm working through some of my character defects so to give a specific example that came to mind uh there this was either our first or second year of marriage i think it was our second but um jackie and i um went to see this musical miss saigon and there and and i was sitting in a different part of the theater because we were going with different people that had given us tickets um so there was um I don't know if for people who haven't seen this musical, there are very many scenes with a lot of women dancing, wearing very little clothes in a very sexualized way. So uh, Jackie left at intermission uh, for the show and I did not. I stayed and she was really hurt by me staying because she kind of felt like why you're you're married to me. Why are you staying at this really hyper sexualized show? So when I processed that with a mentor and at Celebrate Recovery, um, part there, an, an unhealthy part of me, you know, who wants to put it on Jackie is like, why are you making such a, a big deal out of this? It was just one show and other things like that. But I think the, the healthy Christian practice in that moment is, first of all, for me to confess uh, I, I stayed at something that was a lustful experience for me and that was not loving to my wife. Um, so me staying was the wrong decision and I, I need to own that and I need to um, take responsibility for what I can here. So I'm not responsible for how my wife felt about it, but I am responsible for my decision to stay and how that hurt her. Mm -hmm. So processing that at Celebrate Recovery gave me a chance to confess that sin. And on top of that, the way that I would continually process that in prayer is reminding myself like God is not furiously condemning me for this decision. He's encouraging my ownership and he's, he's helping me walk through the reparative work with my wife, rooting for me all the time to continue to make progress in this area rather than a harsh demanding task master. Who's like, you screwed up here. This was awful and bad and sort of heaping shame on me. Which goes back to what you said before about how you viewed God. Yeah. I mean, that just totally, to me, I wouldn't say totally, I guess. It heals that. Mm. Was that healing for you, Paul? For sure. And and there were so many other experiences I had in Celebrate Recovery similarly, like... uh realizing like one of my biggest character defects is resentment, uh, like, like the kind of harboring bitterness and, and instances that are frustrating. So I, I would be at celebrate recovery and I would be, I'll, I'll continue to use marriage as an example, cause that's what we've talked about thinking about, like, I'm really frustrated that like, I, we wanted to go to this party together and Jackie at the last minute was like, I'm really kind of worn out. I don't want to go. And it could be easy for me to harbor resentment about that. And, um, and celebrate recovery is a place where I can name 
I'm feeling frustrated, but God's invitation is not for me to cling to bitterness here, but sort of accept hmm. um, uh, what the, I, what am I trying to say? Accept my responsibility for what I need to, so I can own my attitude towards my wife. I can own anything I said to her that was unloving. I can own sharing with her my frustration and seeking sort of a constructive path forward. But the only way I get there is by owning my own sin and responsibility in, in the context of a community that is loving me, supporting me, that is reflecting God's love and support for me in the same way. I mean, that is just the most beautiful picture of, to me, I just see it as Jesus that, and what he just invites us in, like you said, as we are. And it, I think about what you shared, Jackie, about maybe your childhood and then what you experienced in marriage, that this invitation to just express what you're feeling in a very honest way, but also not stay there either. Like, I love how you said that God invited you to not hold on to the anger. Is that what you said? Uh, yeah, I guess I would say it as express the anger and and sort of bring it up to God and, and other people as a way of moving towards the next step. The next mm. step being like uh, the follow-up conversation that's needed or... Like emotionally healthy spirituality sort of talks about um, emotions as clues to what is happening in our internal world. So mm -hmm. emotions are not meant to be worshipped. They're meant to be indicators for us to help us understand the pain that we're carrying, the unhealthy assumptions we're making, the things we're believing, that those are the things that need to be addressed and worked through. So how has, for both of you, how has Celebrate Recovery helped you in how you view yourself? I love the uh, verse in Isaiah <clears throat> that talks about like God longs to be gracious to us. Mm -hmm. And like, I almost have this image of him just, you know, just so excited, right, to just extend that grace to us and that that's how he wants us to experience a relationship with ourselves and also with others. Um, so whenever I'm really struggling to be gracious with myself, I, I pull that first up because I'm like, God longs, like he craves it to extend grace here. I can, I can ask him how to do that for myself and for others. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if that, did that answer the question? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I think for me, I would say it, it helped me really feel uh, God's posture towards me as something that is mm -hmm. continuously loving. Um, yeah, that's good. Like thinking of it in terms of uh, part of my therapy work, and this was kind of amplified by Celebrate Recovery, was sort of imagining, like, how was God present with me when I was a seven-year-old and mm -hmm. dealing with some of those, the emotional challenges I ran into there and thinking about a loving parent, uh, when their seven-year-old child screws up, they, mm -hmm. they're steady and they, mm -hmm. are, they are helping them work through their mistakes 
with um, with patience and grace, and and God is the same way. So, in the context of my marriage, in the context of other character defects that came out as I worked as I was in sober recovery, things like me overworking and and giving too much of my thought, life, and energy to work, um, my uh, attempts to control things that are not mine to control and and you know continuing to work through my codependency in all of those areas god is is steadily rooting for my growth Mm. wow and also just the format too is your it's all about owning your stuff right so it puts the focus back on what can I control here and what can I control here? How do I release that if I if this is not something I can control, right? Like we can't control how someone views us, responds to something, but we do have a lot of control over how we respond to others and how we're talking to ourselves um, in those moments. So I think it also is a, a great format for kind of reevaluating your relationship with yourself, to be honest, which is, I think, so important and Mm -hmm. something I never, I thought it was selfish to do, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah. And that must have been incredibly healing for your marriage as well, as you both were learning these things. It was, and continues to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's let's, let's lean into that a little bit here. Um, We've talked already a little bit how, uh, the in about the misconception of the incompatibility of therapy and faith or the Christian faith. Um, when you think about your own journey through therapy um, while wrestling with faith and, and using that lens of the approach of a, a rooted, uh, an emotionally healthy spirituality approach and perspective on mental health and therapy, how would you say... <clears throat> that was powerfully compatible, not in fact incompatible, but powerfully compatible, um, and a and and really part of your walk and relationship with God. Um, and then to to that point about really healing and being a blessing to your marriage. I'm curious for your marriage, but also your other relationships. Really, what you've seen God do as you've obediently walked through those seasons and um yeah different steps so i'll answer first in the context of marriage um uh, and then i'll give one example outside of marriage so i i think it's it's the same lesson with different circumstances so we have a beautiful normal almost two-year-old daughter who (laughs) had a phase that that still a little bit where she was like pushing kids like it was her favorite thing in the world like (laughs) i wouldn't say playground bully but like borderline um and like out of nowhere yeah like wait yeah so (laughs) we we had a lot of arguments about how to respond um as and like and i i wanted the approach to to predominantly ignore it Um, and Jackie wanted to intervene more and I, it was a place where like, I felt a lot of resentment and control and a lot of unhealthy thoughts about like, Oh my Lord, if you just freaking did it the way I want to do it, like we'd be good and we wouldn't have all these conflicts. But that's, 
I, I was not operating out of a posture of how do I work lovingly as a team with my wife mm. uh, on this on this thing, and how do I release my resentment and and um, and honor the the truth that like God is at work in both of us as we're trying to figure out how do we parent our daughter and respond to some of the different things that come up. So. Uh, again, for me, it was a posture shift of um, of owning my own unhealthy attitudes and trying to make a turn to uh, uh, to to work as a team with my wife. And then, as far as outside of marriage, um, I think yeah, actually, work is is a good is a good area for me. So I am. Well, I think uh, uh, when I think about some of my work trajectory, a lot of the issues that I deal with now are the same ones I dealt with when I worked for the Christian college ministry, Mm -hmm. like things like struggling with feeling overly responsible for students' decisions. Now I I work with middle school students um, and feeling like I need to uh, control their decisions and different things like that. So part of my ongoing growth continues to be to, to let students make their own mistakes um, to, to sort of walk patiently with them as they are, um, learning things like how to relate, how to deal with conflict, how to express their emotions. Um, like I, I help out with the girls volleyball team at my school and there's a girl who like the, at, in practice was really, really angry, but wouldn't talk to me because she was upset that I had told her she could play two games when it turned out she could only play one because I didn't count I didn't calculate well how many girls we had and, and and trying to give everyone equal playing time. So she was really upset. I asked her like, we want to talk and and she like just kind of gave me the silent treatment for a bit. So I think if I was in my like unhealthy state that I was with the college ministry, I would think it is 100% my responsibility to fix this kid here. And I need to take on all of her emotional stuff. So I gave the kid a few minutes to, to cool down. Uh, I invited her again, like, Hey, I want to hear what you're frustrated with and, and own it non-defensively. And so a lot of how God has worked through me is as I continue to grow out of codependency towards emotional health in that moment, I can sort of work through like, it's not my job to fix her. Mm -hmm. It's not my job to, uh, take like to, to own her feelings. But one thing I can do is be a safe, non-defensive, non-anxious presence that kind of lets her express herself and, and work through help her work through towards a constructive solution. Hmm. Yeah. That's so good. I don't know if I have anything better to add. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I think I didn't realize I had this tendency until I started a step study with celebrate recovery of giving advice. (laughs) Mm. Like I, I would offer again that I want to be perceived as someone who's helpful. I want to be perceived as someone who can anticipate your needs, um, who can, I'm an Enneagram too. Uh, so I'm like, um, kind of like hide behind that identity sometimes I think. And, um, 
in celebrate recovery you can't you literally <laughs> don't give advice like you are there to support one another not fix one another that's literally one of the guidelines and um i was definitely a fixer like if i saw someone that needed help or at least i you know anticipated or or assumed someone needed help like i wanted to be the first one um there so i think for me how that relates to just like relationships in general and i you know it, it it's magnified more in marriage because you have more interactions and things like that but i that's not my role um that's not my role with f fixing paul or you know assuming that he needs fixing in some way or you know um even calling out his character defects or anything like that like it's it's about, um, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> Sometimes well, I, 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 I just had a moment where usually I look to Paul to complete my sentences. <laughs> it's one of my character defects. I, <laughs> I will try. Okay. So <laughs> I, I think part of what you're saying is the temptation, and I think this is true in marriage, but many relationships to think like, I need the other person to to act differently. Like I need them to change their attitude, their behavior, and then I'll feel okay. When so yeah. much of I think the spiritual growth that we've experienced is no, there there are always ways that I am contributing to the problem here mm -hmm. yeah. that I can take ownership of and make deliberate changes in if I want to see something healthy if I want to move towards something healthy in whatever conflict mm -hmm. yeah. is being experienced. Mm -hmm. He did it. There you go. <laughs> you are one. Awesome. Well, it took seven years of marriage. You're right. <laughs> well, one thing I love about your answers there is, um, and when, when you started, Paul, the, the sentiment of there's both that in that journey of uh, therapy and growing in self-awareness, the recognition of your role to play, and um, that the shattering of the misconception that my spouse will fix me, will fill those mm -hmm. gaps that, uh, you know, my personality has. Uh, but also simultaneously, as your view of God continued to grow and mature, the recognition that Jackie also <laughs> has been given so many gifts to bring to the table. So even though mm -hmm. she won't fix all your gaps, simultaneously when parenting decisions and figuring out how to parent well um, or make life decisions together recognizing that and honoring that unique giftedness um, unique imago day she has as well mm -hmm. um, it's this this uh, juxtaposition of, of the both and like they're not here to fix me but also it there is something like deeply in them that God has um, that God wants to use for, for mm -hmm. me as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which I would think, and I want you guys to answer this, not having the expectation that this other person, I have to fix them, would be freeing and surrendered to, to say, God, you do what only you can do. You help them. And I'm just going to be here to help as I can. I mean, did you guys find that freeing or was it hard to not try to fix? <laughs> Mm. It's always hard. <laughs> yeah, I think it's still hard, but also, yes, I would say there's definitely a freedom to just um, 
like I want to see Paul become the person that he wants to become. Like mm-hmm. it's an honor and a joy to like be that close emotionally, physically, everything with somebody that I don't have with anybody else. I'm going to start crying, <laughs> but it is. And it's, you know, when we're in the day to day, especially with parenting <laughs> and we're tired and like, you know, I have not had easy pregnancies. I'm sick all the time. We actually mm. rescheduled this podcast <laughs> uh, due to being sick last week. But yeah, he, oh my gosh, it, it blows my mind how much he fills in the gaps that I just, I didn't have that before. Right. Like mm-hmm. even the way that he's such a servant to our family with making meals and um, cleaning up after dinner. Like there's just so many things that feel just like such an honor to have a front row seat to and to be a, to benefit from those things that he brings to the table that I just, I struggle with. I forgot the question. <laughs> Can you say it one more time? <laughs> um, I think I asked that it was freeing. Freeing. That mm-hmm. to not have to have the expectation to fix yeah. Jackie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my, my thought was it, it, yes, it is freeing. I still struggle with the temptation to want to fix. So it's mm-hmm. not like that is gone, but I think the, the sort of speed in which I move in the direction of starting with personal ownership is, is faster. And then, mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately freeing, yes, because I think the the result in my life of trying to fix Jackie is um, nothing good. <laughs> so, for example, I think back to when, like, when Jackie was in a really heavy season of depression and she was also trying to get a new job, there were ways in which I talked to her about it and tried to help her towards job opportunities that were really like pushy and controlling. Like I was trying to to fix her issues and her problems and it did not inspire her to go for jobs <laughs> or to, <laughs> and, and really that was my own the, the problem there was my own anxiety. I was anxious about money. I was anxious about um, the sort of the trajectory of our uh, our life together and, and thinking some kind of like spiraling thoughts of like, will Jackie be depressed forever? And, and will we sort of be stressed financially like in the long run? So I, and, and those are things where I was trying to to control and that brought no good fruit um i was not uh i was often not a loving patient empathetic spouse in in some of those times Mm -hmm. um so i point being that the shift towards personal ownership changes those moments um where i'm I'm tempted to want to own her problem Mm -hmm. and have a just a, a healthier way to engage with her on it. Hmm. So with everything you guys shared, especially in relation to your marriage, mm-hmm. and I just so relate with so many things in this, if you had to tell someone who's preparing for marriage or seeking marriage, and you had to paint a more accurate picture 
of marriage to them? Uh oh. <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah, it's a big question. <laughs> um, what would you say to them? The best gift that you can give your spouse is a continual willingness to to grow, mm-hmm. like your willingness to to own your own own your own sin own your own emotional issues, own your own contributions to problems. And that's, I think, one of the key ways to love your spouse. Um, And that I I think for us that has been true, that has always been true in our marriage and is part of the reason why we have uh, a lot of joy and connection and are happily married. (laughs) Um, And... I think that within that, I will also also say, I think for for us and for many people, the temptation to, I, and I've said this before, but to go back to thinking, if only my spouse would do blah, 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 I would not be so mm. mad or I wouldn't have all these problems or I wouldn't feel so depressed, anxious, angry, stuck, whatever. Um, it is always tempting to put the onus on them. And I think God's invitation is very frequently um, to 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 start with our ownership and invite him into to helping us work on our own stuff. I do want to make one quick qualifier because I do know there are instances in which people are in uh, an abusive situation mm-hmm. or in a particular power dynamic mm-hmm. in their marriage where thinking I need to be the one to change is not always true. So I, I'm cautious to sort of state that advice as universal because mm-hmm. I, I don't think it applies equally in all marriage contexts, but I think in many, yeah. it is helpful. Yeah. And a safe, healthy, loving, committed marriage right? Mm -hmm. That is, this is applies. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Love that, Paul. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think for me, when I do struggle to place blame or, um, respect or even love Paul, I will often visualize his, like him as a little kid. And I know that Mm. sounds kind of weird, but, um, Especially now being a parent and seeing the world through through Ezra's eyes mm-hmm. and even just seeing the kind of support she needs and the love she needs and that closeness physically and like emotionally and to be present like and even like working through our own like childhood stuff. Right. Um, and what I needed and what I didn't get like. I will picture Paul as like little Paul. (laughs) So if anyone's familiar with like inner child work, if you're not like, that's totally okay. But it's basically your, your, um, it gives you a softness to that person Mm -hmm. to really figure out like, okay, here is how little Paul might be feeling. What can like adult Jackie do and say that would be loving to him right now Mm -hmm. um so that's something like i i'm a very visual person so that's just something that helps me to when i'm in a place where i'm really resentful or angry or whatever with a situation with paul like i will often visualize little paul and like Mm. was that kind to say no (laughs) yeah so yeah. That gives you a real compassion for the other person mm-hmm. when they're being maybe defensive or reacting mm-hmm. in a normal human way. But yeah. Yeah. when you picture yeah. them, that's cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. 
Would you both say, I feel like from your stories and from the story of your marriage, that approaching marriage, trying to approach marriage with the Christian lens, right, in a, in a way kind of guided by um, the love of Christ. Would you say that approaching marriage that way has made it harder but more fruitful? No. <laughs> so I think marriage is right. hard whether you're a Christian or not. Like I I don't cuz it's it's I don't think approaching our marriage from a Christian lens has decreased the conflicts because I think the type of conflicts we have I anticipate are the conflicts in any marriage regardless of how you identify spiritually or to what spiritual community that you belong to um, I definitely think it's made it more fruitful so the no was was mm -hmm. the no was just about the question of has it made it harder yeah. um, I think it's it has grounded us in our capacity to work through our personal pain and our conflicts. Um, but I think we have likely similar conflicts to a lot of couples who are not Christian. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the presence of Jesus has, has been one of the components that uh, continually helps us um, move towards love and forgiveness towards each other. That's good. Yeah, nothing else Same. to add. That's good. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're getting close to wrapping up here. This has been a rich conversation. Mm -hmm. um, it really has. <laughs> one, one thing we want to ask just directly, kind of like head on um, here, is through all of this, um, and not only your marriage, but the stuff you've been through, um, why just head on like why are you still following jesus uh i answering this question i i feel choked up because i i when i think about god's loving faithfulness to me and when i think about being suicidal on the bridge and how i felt almost convinced like uh, I, life is too hard and painful and I am too continuously disappointed or sorry disappointing to God that I, I would like to stop living um, when I when I think about that in light of God's uh, continual loving presence in my life like he, he gave me a spouse that has loved me well in dating and engagement and marriage. He's given me parents that have been an incredible gift to my recovery and healing. He's given me purposeful work that has transformed, or I should say been a part of transforming how I see God and his love for me and, and how he is using me in the world. Um, and he's so, he's so good. Um, so yeah, just coming to, to experience Jesus, I think for who Jesus really is, which is, um, the God that is rooting for me and loves me and is always inviting me towards, uh, a healthier, more fruitful life. 
Um, I want that and I continue to want it. That's good. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Bring out the tissues. Yeah. Well, I got them um, before. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this question really like, oof, it like packed a punch, um, <laughs> for me as well. Um, I thought of this verse, um, in it's Psalm twenty-seven, eighteen. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I remember when I had read that in that season of like depression, I kind of just went off of like faith. I was like, okay, God, I might not see your goodness now. I don't know if I will see your goodness in this lifetime, but you're promising that I will see it at some point. And that is like kind of what I had clung to and kind of declared over my life essentially in that time until I felt it again or whatever, you know? Um, and but I have, I've seen his goodness. Like I've seen his goodness in the way that, you know, I found a community of, of believers that just felt so authentic. Um, and I found it in like when my dad passed away and like 10 years later realized, oh, wow, I didn't even grieve this and then had to grieve it and felt so odd about grieving his passing like <laughs> 10 years later. Mm. You know, it came up in our engagement when I felt really alone. Like I felt like I couldn't process stuff even with Paul because he was going through such a hard uh, time. And then when I felt alone, when I, you know, when I was going through that almost daily suicidal thoughts, um, so I have, I have seen his goodness. I've seen myself go from like being completely <clears throat> hopeless to feeling hopeful and grateful and excited about what God is doing in my life and what, um, what he promises, even when I don't feel it. Mm -hmm. So I always go back to that verse. It's always been kind of like one of those things that has stu stood out to me of like, okay, I might not see his goodness right now, but he does promise I will see it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank mm -hmm. you both yeah. so much. Um, is there anything that we haven't, you guys haven't said yet that you'd like to before we wrap up? Well, let's, well, let's do, we'll give you a second to think about that. Um, we, let's wrap up here. Final thoughts from Oof. the whole group. <laughs> I'm saying that because I just, well, I you were trying to get I'm, out of it. I, no, cause I'm mm. still, I'm like <laughs> processing everything that was just said. I mean, yeah. I just feel like yeah. it was so reflective of even things that I've been through. Yeah. Um, that I think I walked into marriage with very high expectations of healing my relationship with my dad. Mm. Um, and what's the struggle is, is that my husband can easily carry responsibility on his shoulders. So he carried mine, which was very hard for him. So to hear how you guys have sought help in so many healthy ways mm. um, from such a difficult time is just so beautiful to hear. I'm so glad that the church responded that way. Um, that people in your life responded that way. 
and the things that you're learning about God and, and have learned are just, I'm so glad that people are hearing this. I'm glad that I'm hearing this. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. In closing here, I just, I think the thing that really stuck out to me, um, even early on in our conversation, um, I think actually it was just God's kind of clear presence and all the things y'all shared. And I wish we had more time to even dive in deeper to so many of the different parts, but you acknowledge this really difficult thing or this really difficult moment and then seeing something beautiful come out of it. Um, beautiful for you, beautiful for your marriage, for your daughter, for your future son, for your family. Um, and I think the, the poignant example that just sticks with me of that is, 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 you know, Paul, your story and just the poetic, um, way you're able to tell it now of that moment of crisis on the bridge, mm -hmm. um, really at your lowest. And then God putting this person, bringing this person up to you, who then he brings back into your life yeah. in a different Smile. stage. Like, how do you look yeah. at that and not say, not see God's hand behind it and his Absolutely. just presence all along the journey? And mm -hmm. like that, that being your supervisor down the road, just kind of a little nut, like just this beautiful nudge of, yep, I've been here. Um, just a reminder of what, you know, the journey that's that's been and where I've been all along is that's just one obvious example but that has been evident throughout uh, both of your stories yeah so with that you guys get the last word mm -hmm. any final thoughts you want to share either about your stories or just advice to our listeners whatever it might be things things to throw in here yeah one thing that uh, just came to my mind is thinking about um I'm excited to to play this interview for my daughter someday mm. and just thinking about like God's presence in our family and how we can say to her, like, before you were born, God was at work in your parents. He was at work in some of the the most challenging pain in our lives. And that's been... Um, one of the most formative things in our family is God's, God's presence in that pain has changed so many things, uh, for our, for our family. And, and I think offers us the chance to give a lot of gifts to her. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful as I kind of imagine God doing that. And I, I also, um, I'm very grateful for my wife. And I'm grateful to be married. And um, we 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 have this re often or repeated fight about when did I know I wanted to marry her? <laughs> so I say it was during the first long conversation we had. Wait, um, is this a fight? <laughs> well, yeah, because you you said you would often say like no, it couldn't have been like the first time we like for reals talked, oh, yeah. and I say yes, it was <laughs> the first time we for reals talked. So this was actually um, 
it was a fundraising meeting for the previous uh, the the Christian college ministry I worked for. I had to fundraise for this job, so I met with her asking if she would donate financially. And during that conversation, we talked for like four hours. And at the end of that conversation, I'm like, I actually called uh, Amanda's husband, and I was like, I'm good. Like this will be my wife. I hope. And I don't know if I knew that. And, and then she did become my wife. But no, and so we, we fight about, like, did I actually know during that conversation? Listen, but... Nick has the best memory of any human being I know he'd Ooh. be able to tell you yeah. if this is true. Colin, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's incredible for me to think about um, God. God was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm... I think just really grateful. I'm super grateful for being able to chat with you too about our story because we've never really sat down and told the whole gamut of it. Um, Mm -hmm. But in addition, just especially like, you know, we just celebrated seven years this week. And um, (laughs) it feels like I've known Paul forever, but it also is like, wow, that's a long time. Like, We've, we've gone through a lot in those seven years, especially those first couple of years. And, you know, to have him by my side, navigating life and having really a partner and someone who's on your team. Um, like that's one of my favorite things that Paul used to tell me when we were just like going at it, like constantly was like, I'm on your team. Like, (laughs) and it just gave me such a it just put me at such ease of like, oh my gosh, I don't have to fight, fight for this. <laughs> like not, not, not fight, but I mean, um, prove myself, I guess. Um, so yeah, just having him as a partner has been an incredible gift. Um, seeing him as a dad is like, oh my gosh, like it's just the best. It really is the best. Um, especially to a little girl and like even seeing, those parts of my story heal of like the relationship I had with my dad that I miss and the things that like I never got to talk to him about you know um so it's just it's been it's been a hard journey but it's also been super rewarding super fulfilling um and super hopeful so I'm grateful for that wonderful thanks so much guys yeah thank you guys so much if people wanted to reach out to you to ask questions or just say thanks or whatever the case may be where could they find you they can send cash donations (laughs) (laughs) a gift of gratitude too (laughs) don't follow me on social media okay great follow my wife okay you can find me on instagram I am, my handle's Stack the Jack. Great. Um, yeah, would be happy to just chat with you, answer questions, mm-hmm. even if you have questions about how to get plugged in to a faith community where you feel mm-hmm. supported, things like that. I I live for that stuff. I love nice. it. So I welcome any, any of those types of um, connections. Yeah, great. Cool. In the show notes, we will add info about Celebrate Recovery, 
maybe EHS as well, Emotionally Healthy mm-hmm. Spirituality. For yeah. sure. Um, and if you're not on Instagram, but do want to get a hold of these guys, you can reach out. Can we use your sure. email? I don't think we have a walk on email. email. Well, <laughs> I mean, you could email Browncroft at any time, um, but my email is amanda at browncroft.org. And then we also have our own Instagram, so you guys can comment there and reach out. We want to hear from you. Uh, we care deeply about our listeners, and this is the reason why we have this podcast, because we want people to talk about things like this and more. So um, we're grateful that you guys listened today, and uh, we hope to see you soon.